Miracle on the Way, preached in the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown on May 2nd, 1971. The text is Luke 17:14b. And as they were on their way, they were cleansed. This is the first Sunday of May. And as all of the members of this church know, this is the month of our centennial. And under the general chairmanship of Howard Taylor, your executive centennial committee met a little more than an hour and a half ago for what we hope was our last meeting. For it seems that all who are on the committees, and this includes dozens and dozens of people, have been most actively at work, and during the next 11 days will be even more so involved in the program. For that's when it all begins, 11 days from today, one week from this Thursday, when we will have our centennial banquet at 7 p.m., May 13th at the Holiday Inn at Butler. And according to the ticket chairman, Jack Nicholas, I checked with him just before coming into this service of worship, 445 of the 448 tickets that are available to us have already been sold. I don't know who's going to win the fight to get the last three, but I would suggest that all of you hurry home, those of you who do not have your tickets, and get on the phone as soon as possible because it is a complete sellout, and for this we're most happy because on that night our former pastor, my friend Jim Little, will be here to speak, as will that popular radio personality, Jack Bogut, and the night will be emceed by our own Bill Nesbitt. And then two weeks from today we will be celebrating what is known in the general outline as the Church of Yesterday, 1871. I am going over this entire centennial program for the benefit of our radio congregation and for the benefit of those of you who, each one as a member of the Church, received a copy of this, but I know some of you haven't read it. And we think that this is important enough for all of you in the congregation to be concerned about. So we're taking the time necessary this morning to explain that two weeks from today, Jim Little will be our preacher and assisting in the service will be Lloyd Homer, who was the pastor of this church from 1927 through 1931, and a son of this congregation, M. Dwight Ferguson, presently the pastor of the Brentwood Presbyterian Church and who served as assistant pastor of this church from 1958 through 1960. Now on that day at 9.45 a.m., the usual church school hour, there will be no classes for the adult age nor for the senior high. The rooms downstairs will be used by the display committee. And we are hoping many of you who are accustomed to bringing your children to Sunday school and staying yourself 
that you will use this hour to observe the many historical displays which are in preparation at the present time. We hope that during that time you will avail yourselves of the opportunity of meeting our guests who I have, to whom I have written and have asked that they be here at 9.45 to meet many of their friends. At 11 o'clock we will have the morning worship, then at 12 o'clock the historical display as well as the registration of the former members who will be returning will again take place in the colonial and plantation rooms for those who were not able to see it at the earlier hour. A small lunch will be served in this reception, and we anticipate a great turnout for that day. And then at 7 p.m. that night, there is to be an original historical presentation which has been written by Evelyn Niederkoe. It will be in the Fellowship Hall at 7 p.m., featuring Mr. O'Reilly as he takes the part of the first pastor of this church, Dr. Stewart, and the congregation of that presentation will be comprised of many of our young people and some of the smaller children of the congregation. Then we move to that Thursday, which is most commemorative in the life of our church, Thursday, May 20th which marks the actual day of our 100th birthday. And on that day we will have at 7.30 p.m. the Centennial Communion Celebration. And just as on that day, 100 years ago, 58 people joined to form the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown, our communicant class numbering some 30, will be received into the church on that great historic night. And also at that night your session has authorized an offering to be received from those attending the worship and those who, out of gratitude for what God has done for them through this church, wish to express their thanksgiving with gifts. Personally, I am hopeful that that offering that night will be the largest that has ever been received in the more than 5,200 church services that have been held within this church's fellowship. I speak this not as a plea for money. I ask that you think of this as an opportunity to express your gratitude to God for what he has been able to do through this church's ministry. And may I add to the radio congregation. Those of you who feel a part of us, we hope that you will send in your gifts so that they may be deposited that night in this opportunity to give of our centennial gifts. And then on the second Sunday of the anniversary, which is Sunday, May 23rd, there will be church school as usual on that Sunday at 9.45, church school in all of the departments. At 11 o'clock, Harley Swigham, the creator and author of the Bethel Bible series from Madison, Wisconsin, will be the preacher. During that service, we'll have a very unique feature by the placing of memorabilia in a specially designed uh, three-and-a-half-foot-high, 200-pound time capsule, which will be placed here in the chancel, and your officers, representative of the entire congregation, 
will place specific documents in that time capsule, which eventually is to be placed somewhere on our premises, which will be opened every 25 years during our next 100 years of history. Following that, we're going to try a most unique event, and here we need your cooperation. It will be the taking of a centennial picture. And with six or seven hundred people present this morning, it's rather hard to get all of that number in one picture. So we are planning to have at about four or five exits photographers with cameras. You will be notified that day as to which exits will be used. There will be three here in this particular sanctuary, one or two from the Christian Education Building. We ask that in families you will line up at these particular exits before you leave. You will be led out by an usher into groups at the specific spots, groups numbering 35, maybe 40 persons. A picture will be instantly taken, and then you will be free to leave. And then, through the wonderful ability of photographers, all of this will be comprised in a composite picture where all of us will be able to recognize those who were present on that Sunday, May 23, 1971. Then that night, at 7 p.m. here in the sanctuary, an original musical production by two of our young people, Elizabeth Klein and Gary Hine, will be presented using some of the young people from our church. And following that will be the cutting of the centennial cake downstairs in the colonial and plantation room. And then we give you a few days off, and then we come to the last and closing Sunday of our celebration. Sunday, May 30th, Memorial Day. At 9.45 a.m., again, no adult classes will be held downstairs and no youth classes. For we are asking that as families you come together at the 9.45 hour and exhibit the three displays which will be presented in the colonial, the plantation rooms, and the fellowship hall. These are ideas and dreams as to what might be happening in the church of 2071. In one room, the plantation room, there will be a setup which will show a computerized Christian education class as it might be taught in 2071. In the colonial room will be an audio-visual experience and I understand it's going to be a real experience in worship. And in the fellowship hall, a visual papyri presenting many of the things which may be in that particular hundred-year period from now. During the 11 o'clock morning worship, we shall recognize the high school graduating seniors. And then the service will close with all of us on our feet as on that memorial day in the life of our nation we shall be singing one of the great patriotic anthems together, the Battle Hymn of the Republic, as we bring to the conclusion our centennial celebration. It's a big program. I know I've taken much time to explain it, but I know God has great things in store for us in these days to come. I ask for your cooperation in several ways. One, please make this a matter of your personal prayer and your personal participation. Two, 
When you come to worship and to programs, we are asking, please, as a family, individual family that is, please come in one automobile. We are finding that either the cars are getting more in number or our parking lot is getting smaller in size. But some of you come as a family in two and three cars, and this is marvelous, except it takes too much space. The invitation committee has sent out over 200 invitations to former members of the church, and already we know that many of them are going to be returning on one or many of those particular celebration events. Those of you who can walk to worship, please do so, but also please cooperate in parking your cars closely together and come in as few automobiles as necessary during that time. Secondly, there will be, and perhaps thirdly, the bulletins for those particular Sundays have already been printed in a 24-page booklet, which is to be a memento for you for this centennial celebration. Creator coordinator of our centennial, Jack Steffen, has prepared this 24-page booklet. It includes a history of the church, the various programs in detail, also the committee members, pictures, sketches, have what you want, and we would have 2,000 of these prepared or in the process of preparation for you. Those of you who are at the banquet, each one of you will receive one. And then they will be every Sunday here in the pews. The worship services are already printed there, and to follow the worship, you will have to have these. Now, we want you to keep one per person, but please, for goodness sake, don't take home three or four or five of them, or we're going to be here on the last Sunday and no order of services available. We want you to have those that you need, but please don't be greedy. We have them for all of our people, plus many guests who are to come. And also, I hope you will take great pride, as I do, in that signboard, which now is at the northwest corner of our parking lot, created also by Jack Steffen, one of the few churches that I know that advertises its centennial on a public advertisement board. Our comments have been wonderful on this, and we're most grateful for this opportunity. Luke, the 17th chapter, the 11th verse. As Jesus made his way to Jerusalem, he went between Samaria and Galilee. He was going into certain village where he was met by ten lepers. They stood at a distance and shouted, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Jesus saw them and said to them, Go and let the priests examine you. On the way, they were healed and made clean. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back, praising God with a loud voice. He threw himself to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him. The man was a Samaritan. Jesus spoke up. There were ten men made clean. Where are the other nine? Why is this foreigner the only one who came back to give thanks to God? And Jesus said to him, Get up and go. Your faith has made you well. Now this particular passage of scripture is usually 
used by the preacher as a homiletical device to illustrate ingratitude. But when it is used this way, it loses half of its message and power, for this is just not an incident in the life of Jesus where one man, a Samaritan, gave thanks, but and the other nine did not. But this is more than that. This is an instant which explains a miracle, a miracle of healing. Now, I know as soon as I talk about miracles, I'm tuning some people out, because there are those that no matter what they think of Jesus, they just cannot accept the fact of miracles. For some reason or another, they can accept the fact that God created the sun, the moon, the stars, even their own lives. But the fact that God, who created all these things, can do anything with any of his creations, any time and in any way he wants, they can just not swallow that. And it's too bad. For unless you believe in miracles, you really cannot believe much of the Christian faith, because this faith of ours is really predicated upon a miracle. The fact that God came down in the form of a man. You know, that's rather unique, is it not? The fact that this God-man lived on this earth, died, and was resurrected on the third day. That's more than just the natural. There's some supernatural there, is there not? And the fact that what that man did on a hillside outside of Jerusalem nearly 2,000 years ago, on a day that we choose to call Good Friday, can enable you today to know that your sins are forgiven and to be spiritually reborn, if that's not a miracle, I don't know what is. And for everyone who seems to reject the miracles, I find hundreds of people who are confused by them. Not that I understand how God works through miracles, I don't think anyone does, but this scripture lesson helps us to see how God sometimes works. For it shows us that God is one who brings miracles to us not only when we are waiting, but when we are working as well. There's no question in the mind of the person who knows the Gospels that Jesus can do anything and create miracles without people. He creates them for them, as we see at Canaan, when when the host at the wedding reception ran out of that joy juice, and where asking Jesus, the Lord, turn the water into wine. No people involved there. Our Lord also did something for the frightened disciples when in that rocking ship upon that storm-tossed Galilean sea, he said to the tumultuous waves and to the blowing winds, Peace! Be still! And there was calm. But sometimes, you see, God not only does miracles for people, but he does them through people. And here is a tremendous example and illustration of that truth. God said through Jesus Christ to these ten lepers, Go and show yourself to the chief priests. And these individuals turned and headed themselves toward the preacher's office. You somehow get the impression that if these men had not heard Jesus, they would not have been healed. There would have been no miracle. 
if these individuals had only listened to him and not done anything, there would have been no healing. There would have been no miracle. But it was the fact that these men heard Jesus, were obedient to his words, and did in action what he commanded them to do. On the way, the Bible says in the 14th verse, on the way they knew that they were cleansed. You see, this, this is how miracles work sometimes. It's just not when we come here and think about something else and do not hear the word of God. It's just not when we come and listen to the word of God and agree with it, but that's as far as it goes. It's when the individual hears the word of God and is obedient to the command of Jesus and gives not only mental assent to the teaching, but he gives to his hand action based upon that teaching. And he does what the teaching tells him to do. And on the way, in the process of fulfilling that particular action, Miracles happen. Miracles come, you see, when we're on the way. Also, this particular teaching presents to us the idea that sometimes miracles may happen instantaneously, but there are other times when they work themselves out gradually. Gradually. You see, unlike other particular parts of Scripture, these men were not healed instantly. Jesus, on other occasions, just said, take up your bed and walk. And the man stood up and walked and was healed. Jesus said, go to the chief priests. And these men started to walk on the stumpy legs that they had left from that crippling disease. We don't know how far they went. Maybe it was a few feet, a few yards, a few blocks. We, we think, anyway, it was outside the distance of the sound and the view of Jesus. And gradually, the further they went on the way, the more they found that they were healed and the more the miracle became real to them. At first, they probably thought it was only their imagination. But then they found sinews and muscles that were unable to work, working. And they knew that they were healed. And this came gradually. You see, this is what I can't quite understand about myself and about some of you. We, we get down on our knees and petition the Lord, and we expect an instant miracle. And if it's not worked out that day, that hour, that week, we think that God does not love us. <laughs> we think if the solution isn't here right now, God's not too powerful. The first miracle that he created in any one of our lives... The miracle called birth. It took approximately for each one of us nine months to be a part of that miracle. Yet we get upside up with God if sometimes we have to wait nine minutes for an answer. God just doesn't work that way always. He can, but more times he works gradually in fulfilling his will. Some of us who have found Jesus Christ and have been reborn, you see, the second time. This didn't come overnight. Oh, to some, yes, it was like Paul's experience. But for others of us, there have been long days and nights of turmoil, sweat, and tears. And the birth has been very painful and came only gradually. 
You see, right now, God is working miracles in some of our lives. This very instant, right now, gradually he is working out miracles. Maybe you have prayed for some restored health, a decision which has to be made. Maybe, maybe you need some strength, and, and maybe you are asking for a particular gift which you know can come only from God. It's coming. It's on the way. But you see, the third point in this lesson is one that we seldom forget. Many times the miracles of God come and we don't recognize them as miracles. This is the whole story. Ten men were healed. But only one man recognized the fact that it was a miracle. Only one man was able to have the vision that God was the one who had done this, and he came back and thanked God by falling on his knees. You see, that's the real miracle. That's the real miracle. Not that the man was healed, but the man had the ability, the insight, the courage to confess that the miracle, his healing, came from God. It's only, ladies and gentlemen, when we stop and think and realize that the miracles which come our way, and they come every day, that they are gifts from God. When we realize that the only way we can be sitting here today is because we are the recipients of a gift of God. The fact that your heart and my heart is now beating, and there is breath in the lung, and there's flow to the blood, this is a gift. This is a miracle. The fact that you and I could get up this morning and that you can hear me and I have that ability to speak and, and we can communicate. This is a miracle. But many of us don't realize it and we take it for granted. And miracles come, but we do not have the ability to admit their miraculousness comes from God. The point is simple, that when we realize every breath that we take, every love that we have, every endearment that is close to us is a gift of God, then miracles are on their way, and we are on the way to becoming the miracle that God created us individually to be. Father, we are a part of thy wonder, of thy care, and of what the world calls a miracle. Help us never to forget it. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of his Holy Spirit be and abide with you all now and forevermore. Amen.